This is Center Stage, putting lawyers in the spotlight by highlighting attorneys and other industry experts to help take your law firm to the next level. Hey everyone, and welcome to Center Stage. I'm your host, John Henson, and this week uh, we are talking about the right way to grow your firm. And so I know kind of obviously on the surface, that sounds like a very subjective and highly opinionated way to go about doing things, but uh, our guest this week has really done a good job of this. I think he has grown his firm the right way, and I wanted him to come and uh, tell us all about it. And that is uh, attorney Jeremy Danielson. Jeremy, thank you so much for taking some time with us this week. Thank you, John. I appreciate the invitation. Uh, Yeah, like John said, my name is Jeremy Danielson. I am a real estate attorney in a suburb of Des Moines, Iowa, and I actually practice uh, and run a firm with my wife, Sarah. So Uh, We're a husband and wife team, and we have doubled the size of our firm in the last couple of years. There's four of us now, so we're still very small, but uh, opened the doors in 2015 when it was just me and uh, and steady improvements since then and uh, have hashed out and developed what I want the firm to be over those last uh, six or seven years and have a pretty clear idea now. Awesome. So, and I know you, you've gone around and talked about this before. So I know that you've, you know, whether it's in your own personal experience or you've kind of seen this happen, you know, with other lawyers out there and other law firms out there, but what are some of the mistakes either that you've learned that you made along the way, or some of the other mistakes that you've seen other law firms make that have kind of slowed or hampered their growth in any way? That list could be long, but uh, what comes to mind uh, immediately talking from my own personal experiences, um, when I first opened the doors to our firm, we were extraordinarily dependent, uh, relied upon one referral source. Um, At the beginning, they were 100% of all of our business. It slowly went down to 85 to 90%. And then let's see, in uh, January of 2019, I probably learned the hardest business lesson I've ever learned when they chose to go to a bigger firm in Des Moines uh, through no fault of our own. And all of that business disappeared in about 30 days. Uh, Sarah and I had a big decision to make, but uh, um, we have since diversified, but that, that was a really hard lesson to learn in real time as a business owner. Yeah. And so, and one of the things, cause I know, you know, Sarah, your wife, one of the one of the big sort of uh, warnings that a lot of business owners out there say is like, don't mix business with family. So how have you actually navigated running a business with your wife? So in 2015, I did start the firm on my own. It was just me. Um, and I didn't realize it at the time, but I had created a job for myself. I don't know that I really felt like a business owner. I had mm-hmm. we had enough business. We were feet, I had a paycheck feeding the family. Um, but then all of a sudden I, I, after about two years, I probably had hit my capacity and I was working until midnight most nights and we've got two small boys now. I'd have to do the math. I think one was probably present at the time. Um, uh, and Sarah got sick of me working till midnight and wanted to help. And she just started taking things off my plate. Didn't really ask if she could help. She just started doing it. And over time it turned into a full-time job for her and we started paying her and she became to what she is now she's a critical member of the team she's our transaction coordinator operations uh, operations manager she runs the show for me now um it's really because she took the initiative to try to improve my quality of life so i could be present in our children's activities and lives 
Yeah. And I, and I think I, I heard you talk about this somewhere else, but it's, I, I think you mentioned about how, you know, you, even though you are working with your wife on a daily basis, you have a really good way of keeping things separated in terms of like, you know, work doesn't follow you home, at, you know, as much as you can help it. Right. And so, you know, like, is there, is there some sort of, you know, kind of regimented system that you kind of developed or did this just sort of happen naturally? So constant improvement is the key. Um, We are learning from each other and learning how to do this better and better every day, every month, every year. Um, Where we were to where we've gotten, um, we now have on the calendar, a weekly leadership meeting, which is a meeting for Sarah and I, for her to sit down and corral me for any questions she may need me to look at. Not usually client matters, more more issues with the business. Um, and we have done much better at keeping those meetings and using those to be productive, which that weekly dedicated time now minimizes, does not eliminate, because we're not perfect, uh, questions in the evenings or at 6.30 in the morning when the alarm goes off or in cars when we're driving kids to activities. Those still happen, and I think that's probably impossible to eliminate 100%. But uh, when things pop up, we talk, but we try to keep that dedicated time for the business activities so that, so so she can expect me to be ready and have my full attention on things, and, and I can help her move projects forward that she needs my help with. Yeah, and, and I mean, I think even even if you're not married, you know, having that structured time where you're you know dedicating that headspace to solving some of those problems. You know, I mean, we've talked about, um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with EOS, but we've talked about, you know, the EOS system on the show before and just how that structure and those specific meeting times to accomplish, you know, to tackle those specific issues is just a really good way to keep things under control and, and to keep things moving forward. Yeah. I think another thing we do, we have a CRM in place uh, different than a law practice management software, but Every single client, every single business project has its space to where we communicate. Yeah. So rather than having, rather than too frequently having off the wall or offhand conversations about something, hey, Jeremy, did you do this yet? All of our communication for the most part about a specific matter or specific project goes through the CRM and we can tag the, the project, the team, team member in there and ask the question because I'm really honest. If it's in my head, it's not getting done. It's got to be in our system so that I can ask for help. And that's something I've had to learn a lot over the last year and a half is how to better ask for help from my team. But uh, we have we have that tool in place that's the hub for all of our communication on all projects, all client matters. Because at 6.30 at night, if she asks me to do something on a real estate transaction, I'm going to forget because my kid is about to probably yell at me or need to get ready for bed or something. And that's right. just not having too many things swimming in my head is a recipe for stress, anxiety, and failure in my opinion. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, exactly. So kind of shifting away from, you know, meetings and structure and stuff like that. I think one of the biggest things, and and we believe this here, but also I've seen this in action across a lot of law firms is tracking the importance of just tracking metrics, various metrics, analytics along the way. Uh, I know that's a big deal for you. What are some of the most important metrics in your opinion that lawyers, business owners need to be tracking, you know, in order to continue that growth? Well, I think there's a couple of big buckets that come to mind. Um, first, we've got KPIs for the overall growth and uh, 
progress of where the firm is and where we want to get to. Um, some obvious ones, revenue is an obvious one, number of clients, client calls, those kind of things. And we're developing and improving our KPIs. Uh, we're actually in the process of that. Um, I just made a big decision for me that helped my stress level in outsourcing our bookkeeping to our CPA uh, up, until, up until about three weeks ago. So six, seven years of running the firm. I have attempted to do that myself and finally just ask myself the question, yes, this, this bookkeeping is something I can do, but should I be doing it? Mm-hmm. And I, I've been getting, and that's part of learning how to ask for help. It's figuring out yeah. what things do I need to be focusing on and what things do, can somebody else do better? So um, that's taken a huge burden off my shoulders. And by doing that, that's going to give me more real-time information on for our, to, to funnel into our KPI so I can have better information to make decisions from. The other bucket I look at for our transactional firm is uh, the speed of, and efficiency in which we can serve our clients. We really try hard. I say 90% of our fees are all flat fees. I don't want to charge hourly if I don't have to for anything. Um, and I want to get rid of that 10% where we do charge hourly still uh, as quickly as possible. But uh, something we do is we promise 24-hour turnaround on abstract review for title commitments, and we track from the moment our CRM tracks, I know, our CRM tracks when the abstract arrives, and then we move it through four stages while it's in, in our office, uh, moves to me to review, to Ashley, our paralegal to type, back to me for final review, and then it gets sent out. And we can see how long abstracts are in each stage, um, get for any time period, for a week, for a month, for a year, to see what our performance is, to see if we need to tighten up our processes anywhere. So that, that helps us deliver on our client promises, um, and we hold ourselves accountable to to the promises that we make. Yeah. So I know, I know us on our end, um, our, our CRM or our practice management equivalent software, you know, they have uh, the capability of having these dashboards where we can integrate various analytic sources and we can track our KPIs and have that visual right in front of us on our home screen every day. Um, I know you kind of mentioned that you use your practice management software to track a lot of things. How, you know, what have you done to help people track their KPIs and, you know, it, I, I guess in other words, like what have you, do you have some sort of integration? What do you use to keep it top of mind for people so that they know what their numbers are? Um, our CRM is streak CRM. It integrates with Gmail and it, it can, we can produce various reports from it that um, at a minimum, every time we have a team meeting, which we have consistently scheduled team meetings, we look over these KPIs and these reports to see how each part of our business, each, type of legal matter that we help with um, is being served. And we talk through that as part of the, the consistent contacts we have with our team. Our firm is a, is a hybrid remote firm. So um, yes, all, all four of us work and live where we want to. I do have an office in Johnson, Iowa. I'm the one who takes the in-person meetings there. So I'm not hundred percent remote, but I only take scheduled meetings there. So our meetings are Zoom meetings together as a team because my team is living across the entire state of Iowa. One person's three hours away. And the cool thing about that is she moved earlier this year as already a part of our team at Danielson Law. And she made that move to her hometown because she knew she could and she had the support of our of Danielson Law and our team to make that possible. So um, a big goal of our firm, and I think I'm getting sidetracked, but is to uh, serve as a platform for our team members to be successful in their lives, to, to serve them in whatever they want to accomplish. And um, that team member wanted to move back home and we already had the technology and processes in place where it was seamless. I didn't, to be honest, I couldn't tell you the weekend she moved because 
Friday ended and Monday started and nothing felt different to me. Yeah. Oh, no. And, and that's a really good point because I think, you know, I, I mean, you're not that much significantly older than I am. So like our generation, you know, Gen Z and, and, and people coming up, I think that that's, that's kind of what they want more of in their job. You know, there's this, there's this cultural shift where, you know, the last few decades, you know, people kind of served their job, their job was their identity. And now we're kind of seeing a shift where it's like, all right, what can, what, what benefits tangible or not, can a job help and make people's lives better for the, for those that are working for them. And so, um, you know, I, I think that's great. And, and being that, you know, virtual firm, giving people that freedom, I, I think breeds a lot of loyalty, but it also breeds a lot more productivity because people are just naturally happier and they're more motivated to work. No, I would agree with that. Uh, when we started growing the firm and adding past me and Sarah, adding team members, um, I wanted, I had the opportunity where I didn't have to ask permission to go to a doctor's appointment or to go pick up my kid from school at three o'clock. And I wanted to offer that same opportunity to my team members. So it wasn't, the firm isn't built just for me. It's built for all of us. And after I get off the, this conversation with you, I've got conferences for my boys at three 30 and four 15, and I'm going to be there with my wife. And we both get to be present at as many things as we possibly can. And that's, that's the life I want. We're designing the firm to support the life I want instead of building my life around my job. And I'm so fortunate, so lucky to be able to do that and help provide that opportunity to our team members. Yeah. So before we jump into the hiring, I do want to go back one second because, you know, the last sort of segment I want to talk to you about is what you've learned in the hiring process. But um, to go back real quick, one of the um, kind of pushbacks that I hear a lot from other attorneys, especially who have not yet really adopted um, a lot of like workflows or automations or just even some of the things that you have set up with like KPIs and, and your practice management system and all that is they, they're worried about the time commitment that it takes to just initially set all of that up, you know, especially because you're diving into a technological world that you're not really familiar with and all that. So what was your experience in kind of setting up a lot of stuff, integrating your practice management system? You know, did you take like a full weekend to get it all set up or was it just kind of built little by little over time? Did you do it on your own? Did you have help? What was your, what was your experience like? I think my overall theme is constant and continuous improvement. So where we were five or six years ago, yes, I use the same tool, Streak Stereo, but how it looks today versus how it looked five years ago, the layout is different with the fields are different. We continue to, and the, the stages that we move things through have been, uh, are iterative and improve as we recognize they need to be changed. So it was not a weekend project. It was, it, it's, it's been five or six years of just constant improvement and tweaking. Um, the automation we have, we do have automation in place. I love Zapier. Um, it allows different tools that we have, whether it's Streak CRM, Google Drive, or, or something else, to talk behind the scenes without me and allowing me to eliminate duplicate or triplicate uh, information, uh, data entry. Uh, I rely upon that. And once those Zaps are built, I built them several years ago, they work continuously for the most part, unless uh, a major piece of the software has changed, but they haven't broken on me very often. And, and that just like one super small example is we'll create a, uh, when we have a new client in the sales deal pipeline, we will send the engagement letter out after I have a call, phone call with them or they talk to our intake specialist. And then when we move that, when they sign the engagement letter, we move it to the hired stage that triggers a zap that sends them immediately our client welcome packet. 
And the welcome packet is a PDF for now. I have visions of it becoming a video component, but it describes the type of firm we are, how we work, what expectations are from us and from the client, because it's a mutual relationship, and how to schedule a phone call, schedule a meeting, drop off documents to us based upon our hybrid, virtual, whatever we want to call it type firm, um, so that they know from the moment they sign the engagement letter, here's how to be successful. And here's what we expect of you, client. Here's what we're going to promise for you. And I've never want, I haven't, we've been sending that welcome packet out for probably three years now. It's pretty direct in that I'm not sitting in the office waiting for someone to just arrive unannounced, but it, in a kind, really kind way, tells people how to schedule those appointments. I haven't had one complaint. Nobody's ever seen that called and said, this doesn't work for me. I want to go somewhere else. Uh, it's, it, it, it sets the representation up to be successful. So we know how to communicate together and it's been, uh, but Zapier has enabled that to happen. So I don't have to remember to send that out or have somebody else remember to manually send that out. And that's, we've got dozens of zaps that just do those repeat tasks for us. Awesome. Yeah. So, uh, and I appreciate you kind of going with me down these, the, these little side paths. Cause I know this isn't uh, entirely what we, we prepped for in the, in the beginning, but uh, you know, as, as you talk and, and I, I'm just thinking of more and more ways that, that, um, you know, you've done things and, and just how I've had some other conversation with lawyers and, and their hesitancies on that. And so it's good to get that, that insight. So just kind of a recap, you, you have systems in place and, and blocks of, of time basically to address things as you go along. You're not scattered and all over the place and all that. You have it really regimented. You have your KPIs that you're tracking. You have you know, your automations workflow set up, you're utilizing your practice management system. Um, the last thing, and you kind of touched on this a little bit, is, uh, you know, the, the people that you've hired, you know, and, and you've, it sounds like you've hired some really great people who do really great work for you. They're, you know, you've given them some freedoms, the same freedoms that you have wanted being a business owner. So what have you learned personally along the way in your hiring process that has attributed to how your firm has grown? I want to answer that question. I want to go back on automation just for a half, half a minute here real quick. Absolutely. Um, the automations to our firm are, they still always start from a, an imaginative question, uh, co question conversation we have with the teams. Like, what are you doing repetitively that you don't, that takes up a lot of time? So can, can we fix this? Does it save us time or save us money so we can be more efficient? Yeah. I don't We don't charge hourly. Why do I want somebody doing this repetitive task that a computer can do when I'm charging flat fees, if I can automate these things, still create the client experience that seems really personable um, and allows the clients to feel like they are their only client, why do I want my team wasting time doing things that are mundane tasks when I can you leverage them and use them better at their highest value and have them doing things that they actually enjoy, whether it's client interaction, whether it's more substantive work, I, I think, avoiding or being scared of automation, you're missing a massive opportunity. Our profit margins are better with flat fees probably than they would be hourly because of the automations we built and leverage. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. So, now, sorry that I avoided that question. I had that little uh, delay. Um, no, it's great. Hi hiring. The best thing I did when we, when we looked to hire our first team member beyond Sarah and myself was to really make myself think and consider what our firm's core values are. What do I want the firm to be? 
who are we, what, 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 what motivates me, what drives me and on a daily basis. Um, and we've settled on three core values and I put those in the job posting. I led with those in the interview and we used them to select through the candidates based upon the videos that we required candidates to uh, send us one minute videos describing why they thought they'd be a fit for Danielson Law. But the core values have been at the forefront of every hiring decision we've made. And I feel like we've made two fantastic hiring decisions because we led with core values first, then you get down to experience and what they're trying and what they want to uh, accomplish with their lives and how they can contribute to the actual tasks at the law firm. But it was core values first and core values to let people get through the hiring process, core values to eliminate and weed out candidates that we didn't think would be a good fit. So two really successful hires and we actually, uh, we were looking to hire an, the next attorney last uh, summer and because of core values and a, a bigger lesson that I've learned since, and I'll get into that, but uh, we didn't hire, any, hire an attorney because it wasn't the right fit for our team. So it, it might sound repetitive, but core values have been critical to the success of finding the people that are a good fit to work with Sarah and myself. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I agree with that wholeheartedly. I mean, you know, we developed our core values. Oh gosh, probably 2016, 2017. Um, we started with five. We actually just recently changed our core values because, you know, our, our owner and, and you might be able to relate to this a little bit. You know, the first set of core values was really more just kind of what he wanted the company to embody. And the more he kind of, you know, learned and, and educated himself and all that, it, it it morphed into its core values that I emanate that I then want my company to, to emanate, you know, part of as well. And so if, if I'm at the risk of putting you on the spot real quick um, and being able to fire them off real quickly, what are the core values that you had and, and hold your team accountable to? I think they would mirror what you just described as your CEO's second set of core values. They really, um, what they are first is always be humble and kind. That is, that applies to how we interact with each other, how we interact in our personal lives, and most importantly, how we interact with clients. Second, be intentional with everything you do. Uh, I think that's relatively self-explanatory. And then the last, second, the last one is a little bit long-winded, but it's a lesson I learned from my parents. Always tell the truth and you never have to remember what you told someone. I'm not smart enough to tell you one thing, John, and tell Sarah something else. If I tell everybody the truth, yes, sometimes it might be a difficult conversation, but I always know what I told you. And you always know where we, where we stand. So I ask my team to do the same thing, even if that leads to some challenging or difficult conversations sometimes, but um, that expectation is mutual. It's not one-sided. So those, and those are what I lead hiring decisions with one-on-one -on -one reviews with our team members. It's how I try to lead my life. Um, and so, so far so good. Yeah, I agree. And, and so, you know, if your firm doesn't have core values, I think it's definitely something that you should absolutely do. Rally the team around it, make sure that, you know, that's what your team lives by. And I think one important thing that, that I think, um, you know, is important to note with core values is that it's the term pay for play, you know, so like your core values shouldn't be provide good customer service or, or anything like that. Like it's, it shouldn't be stuff that you should just be generally expected to do as part of your job. It should be those core, core values that really guide how you do your job, how you approach your work and, and come in every day. I would describe it as what makes you unique. 
yes. uh, as a business? How, yeah. What's your unique business model or service model? Um, how do you want your clients to feel or how are you going to get to rep successfully represent your clients? And it's, it's really what makes your firm unique. Law, there's, there's other real estate transactional law firms in Des Moines area. There are bigger real estate transactional firms than Danielson Law. What makes us unique is how we interact and treat our clients and, our, and each other and the technology that we use to support our service model, but in my opinion, allows us to, be, to serve our clients differently than a traditional law firm. Awesome. Well, all of this has been really great insight. I, you provided even more insight than I had initially prepared for. So I, I always enjoy when that happens. I do have one final question for you. It's one we ask all of our guests here. Uh, and that is, if you had one piece of advice for uh, our lawyer audience out there, what would it be? So I didn't prepare for this question. So I'm going to uh, go off the cuff here. Yeah. Um, I really think the mo it's, it's what I tell, tell any potential new hire for our team. Um, Danielson Law, we want to serve as rocket fuel or platform for you to be successful in life. Spend time figuring out what you want out of your life before you make a commitment to a career path. If, you, if, you're, at, if you're at a decision at a place in your life where it doesn't feel like it's going the direction you want to, maybe you're working 90 hours a week. No, I'm not doing that. Um, I want, decide what you want and figure out how to build your career around what you want out of your life so that you can be happy. You can be grateful for everything that's going on in your life. I feel like I'm probably the luckiest person in the world because I, I get to provide for my family. I get to go to my kids' conferences this afternoon. I just ran successfully for city council and um, I get to do the things I want to do and work with people that I enjoy working with and sharing time with and, and that I trust. So I'm, that would be my advice. Awesome. Love it. Um, good stuff. As always, that's going to do it for us uh, this week. Thank you for uh, continuing to rate review us on Apple Podcasts, uh, interacting with the show wherever you're finding it. I know we're all over the place. Uh, continue to send in uh, any additional feedback or topic ideas. Uh, happy to listen to any input that you guys have out there. Uh, and yeah, that's going to do it for us this week. Jeremy, thank you so much for taking some time and sharing all your insight. Thanks for listening. To learn more, go to spotlightbranding.com slash center stage.